Pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good afternoon and welcome to One Life Left at GDC 2016. It's the final show of the week. I can't believe it, Steve. I can't, been... I can't believe how quickly time has flown and I can't believe we're all still alive. Well, the... it was touch and go this morning, I'll it be honest. It really was, wasn't it? Wait, today's it's the last day? It's the, it's the last day. Of the first week of GDC yeah, 2016. Here... Yes. There's still four more weeks after this, aren't, aren't no. there? Yeah. We should explain uh, that if you don't know by now, we are Britain's favourite video game radio show. We're not just a podcast, we're an actual radio show. Our words are transformed into waveforms that are beamed out across London every Monday evening. But we're also a podcast, yep. and this time at GDC, we're doing it with Gama Sutra. Uh, Gama Sutra represented today by two people. That's right. Chris, after that you... Is, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, I am Chris Graft, editor-in-chief of Gamasutra.com, also pronounced Gamstura <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I'm Alex Waro, an editor at Gamasutra.com, and Chris Graft is my boss. As with uh, throughout the week, we have guests. We've had an amazing lineup of guests, like Such hit after hit after hit after hit. And that means there's so much pressure on our next guest. Yeah. <laughs> First guest of Friday. It's Fred, everybody. Please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is uh, Fred Wester, and uh, I'm the CEO of uh, Paradox Interactive. And um, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to present the company as well. Or, um... Oh, please tell, tell our listeners uh, who Paradox are. Well, we come from a background of really hardcore historical strategy games, and we branched out uh, to other games as well. So we produced a game like Magica in 2011. We've done games like City Skylines last year, and RPG games like Pillars of Eternity together with Obsidian Entertainment also March last year. So that's pretty much Paradox Interactive. Great. What brings you to GDC this year? I've had a really busy week. So um, started out, came in on Monday, uh, and had, I've had pitch sessions, like developers pitching games, and me as the judge, like uh, an idol jury, like American Idol. So, but I tried to be not too mean, 
uh, <laughs> they did a great job. I was trying to be really positive, although it's a tough market out there. Uh, I, I actually, we had our big press conference on Tuesday where we announced our new game together with Obsidian called Tyranny. And we were partying until 1.30 in the morning. And the day after, I had a live stream with the Swedish equivalent of Financial Times. So that was probably the toughest moment of the whole week. So you did it kind of like uh, American Idol type thing. What, have you considered taking game pitches like The Voice, where you're facing the opposite direction and you don't know who's pitching you, and then you hit a button and you spin around and you see, you see the person <laughs> that, you, that you're picking? Yeah, or maybe you see the game concept. You just get it described first. Like, this is the, I don't know, uh, survival horror game set in space with uh, Titanic. Okay, I just it. hit my button. I'm... <laughs> yeah, and then you spin around, and then you see the people presenting it, and you'll say, oh, God, where is this going to end? Now, Paradox is kind of becoming a big deal lately. It's, you've always been, been good at what you do, but it really seems like yeah, your company's picking up some steam, right? Yeah, we, we've had a great couple of two, three years behind us now, and, and we see that when we go to a show like this, we get a lot of traction, so, and that's really great. I, we started four or five years ago deciding which direction are we going to take this company to make it a world-class company? And we pretty much follow the milestone set up. So when people ask me, uh, what are the plans for the future? I say that I don't make um, forecasts. But if you look at what we've done in the past, I think you can pretty much forecast for yourself how, how the future is going to look. Fred, I've always wanted to ask you, and now I have you here, what is the paradox that gave Paradox its name? Uh, the name Paradox actually is just a cool name for a company, um, but um, the logotype that we have, people ask me what kind of skeleton is that, and it's a platypus, uh, and a platypus is a paradox, mm -hmm. so you have a connection there, at least with the logotype, because it's both a mammal and a bird, I think, because it lays eggs and gives its kids milk, so it's... Um, That'd be cool. That'd be cool if there was, like, this is just another suggestion I have. Um, the skeletons can be a pair of duck skeletons, so it'd be like paradox. Yeah, yeah. Is that a good idea? Yeah, I, I actually made my like heraldry symbol, uh, which is a paradox. So it, it kind of makes sense there somewhere. We have a second guest on the radio show who's just joined us uh, live. Hello, Eric. Hello. Uh, you're back again. I, yeah, I, I, somehow I'm back. You're a fixture on, uh, on One Life Left at GDC. Uh, yeah, uh, it's good or, to see you. Or my barnacle on the <laughs> yeah, Can't get rid of me. So, uh, so tell us about why, uh, why specifically you're at GDC this year. What brings you here? Well, you know, I, there were a few sessions that I did at GDC for many years. One of them was this uh, game design challenge that I ran for 10 years. Every year I would bring a panel of um, really weird, smart, interesting game designers together and give them some strange design challenge to solve. They ranged from everything like design a game that would win the Nobel Peace Prize to design a game that involved real-world permadeath. Um, to a game about uh, having your, you know, the first time you had sex. So it was, a, it was a big range, but but I retired it. Oh. Yeah, I retired it a few years ago. I, I did it for 10 years. I wanted to quit while I was ahead. It was always a popular session and a lot of fun, but nothing lasts forever. But because this is the 30th, or maybe 30, 30th-ish anniversary of the Game Developers Conference, 
they, they brought it back for a special 30th anniversary session. So that, that was the main main session that I did here. So cool. so you kind of did like an encore, right? You you dropped the mic a couple of years ago. You're like, I'm done. And then they were like, one more. Just so, one more. So much for the mic drop. Yeah. Okay. So how did the... Uh, the how barnacle did... theme comes back, I guess, right? So so what was the theme of the, the session? Well, it was a game that would last for 30 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was design a game that would last for an entire generation. Right, right, right. Whatever that meant to the participants, and it ended up... It was a really great panel. It was the the panel also had great generational range. One of the one of the one of the panelists was Chris Crawford, who is sort of arguably the first, you know, one of the very earliest serious uh, game developers. Um, wrote the art of computer game design in whenever that came out, 1980 or something. Um, and uh, there also was Dina Freeman. Uh, who okay. is like a newly minted, just just graduated from uh, from school like a year ago, and won the Nuovo Award for Savelle. Now she's working at the Fulbright Company. So there was also a generational range on the uh, on the panel itself. Fantastic. Um, maybe you could uh, right now. Maybe you could. Which, if you uh, deliver like your a couple of those games, maybe Frederick in his position as like a you know uh, the the voice, like he can give the thumbs up or thumbs down to those games. So if you could, if you could uh, let us know what a couple of those 30-year games are, and Frederick will tell you whether he's going to sign them or not. Okay. Oh. All right. Are we ready for this? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. I, I didn't quite hear, but I'm, I'm kind of always ready, so let's, okay. let's try it out. All right. So um, let's see. <laughs> the, the, the problem is that some of the designs that, the, that, the, uh, that, that they presented, let's just say they're not necessarily the most commercially-oriented uh, designs. But, but okay, I'll, I'll pitch you a few of them <laughs> that ended up happening on the panel. Okay, now, don't forget, Fred is facing the other way right now. He has a red button, and if he likes the idea, yes, he's going <laughs> to... Oh, all right, there's a, a trap door's going to open up, and I'm going to disappear forever. Yes, that too. Um, okay, one of the designs was a soap opera that would, would last for 30 years or really forever. So the, the whole idea was that uh, it was structured with a cast of characters and those characters had sort of evolving relationships to each other. And every day, the players who would sort of play through that day's scene would, uh, would, would put their preferences for the way they wanted the relationships to evolve. And they would use emojis as the interactive me me mechanics. So they would sort of vote with emojis about these players and their relationships. And um, the writers would then, I guess, have, have the next 12-hour period to actually write the scene and input it and then, and then have it acted the next day. So it's sort of like just-in-time writing uh, for an evolving uh, soap opera drama. So that was one. Yeah, so basically a mix in between a soap opera and The Sims, sort of? Yeah, mm. yeah, kind of, yeah, exactly. With uh, with writerly input. So I guess the idea was that they were not quite trusting the computer to, to handle a um, uh, an evolving narrative. Relationship, but, yeah, no. yeah. So that was one. Um, wait, wait, wait. We need wait. to know whether... Yeah. Did you press the red button? Decision uh, time. Yeah, I, I'm definitely intrigued. I think okay. it sounds really nice. All right. So well. the chair is turned halfway. <laughs> halfway <laughs> turned chairs. Okay. I'm, I'm not. That was, I think, that was, I think, a um, uh, yeah, but very mass market idea. Okay. Another another idea that was pitched was uh, one one of the panelists pitched several ideas. So I might, I might give you one or two of his, but um, okay. One of his ideas was. He, 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 wrote, he wrote on a piece of paper, he said, there's a, 
there's a, there's a secret password on this piece of paper and a location that leads to a buried treasure. And then he uh, took a video of this. He lit the paper on fire and, uh, and the paper burned. And the game was you had to wait for time travel to be invented so that you could go back in time. <laughs> this was not one of the final designs. This is one of his like, okay, here's a concept I came up with that's not my final. You had, to, you had to wait for time travel to be invented to go back in time and then be able to read the paper before it got burned. So right. how, how do you handle the waiting time? Is it just a period of time you're waiting for the time travel machine? Well, to be I invented? think that his prediction was that within 30 years we're going to invent time travel which is the amount of, yeah, so then, so within that 30-year duration, so many people do that. I think the problem, there there were, yeah, that, there's a platform problem with that game, right? The, the, well, time, the time travel machine platform. It, it sounds like we need some gameplay mechanics in the meanwhile there, the 30 right. years there. But, right, uh, it's also, that, it's kind of great. I, and I, it, ha, it has the problem of most puzzle games, right? I mean, it's like you solve it once. <laughs> It's the ultimate arc. It's like one player gets a really good experience. And, <laughs> and the rest is just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, wait, cool. does that mean someone has already solved that game? They've already beaten that game. Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically. So you can't really sell that game to anybody because someone's already <laughs> right. beaten it. Right. right. So, then, we don't know if someone already solved it. Yeah. <laughs> and traveled back in time and took care of the whole but it, thing. It, it, but it does make you think about the, the time travel, not as like a simulated mechanic, a rewind, but actually time travel as a game mechanic could be pretty mind-blowing, right? What do you think, Fred? Well, did, did you press I, I the think, button? I think it needs more work on the mechanics during the 30-year uh, period before okay. time travel is... Uh, but, but the idea of time travel is really good. Yeah. <laughs> time yet. traveling is cool. Yeah, the a actual time travel. All right, so here's another one. Um, uh, this is the last one. I'll do the, the third, third and final. So this, this was a game, and the game was... Um, it was sort of like a party game. And uh, the platform was a piece of paper and, and crayons. So you would draw a picture, and the picture would have something missing. So she actually showed some examples from her playtesting, and the picture had missing, um, like, a robot holding something, but you didn't know what it was, or a table, and something was on that table, but you didn't know what it was, and you had to draw, like, a question mark. Then you would hand it to someone else, and they would, they would uh, fill it in. Uh, they, they would fill in uh, the missing space with their own little drawing. And it, it actually was called, it's called Drawing Conclusions. Um, and then, uh, the conver then there had to be a conversation or you had to kind of write an analysis. This is a very conceptual game, almost more like, sort of like a surrealist, you know, drawing exercise or something. But it, it, it produced actually pretty astonishing kind of uh, psycho, psychometric sort of um, uh, uh, philosophical, profound, deep results every time she did it. So there's something about it sort of gives you a problem to solve, but at the same time, there's a sort of a judge that then has to interpret what happened. So that that was yet another one. It's not, it's a dictionary for psychologists. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. in. I would put it in the the fictionary balderdash uh, uh -huh. uh, genre of games. But that was that 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 was another one that was pitched. So you can see that. But you know what's interesting about this whole session is that this is the whole point of it. That right. you don't you don't end up with with traditional games, right? right. That it's a that that the the design constraint. Of, of the 30 years in this case is meant to sort of pop people out of their normal thinking about games. And I, I mean, I worked in the industry for 20 years and I'm a professor now at NYU at the Game Center. So um, that's, you know, that's what I'm all about is like yeah. trying to challenge people to think differently about game design. Yeah. Abstraction of game design, sort of. Yeah, absolutely.
Uh, guys, thank you so much both for coming on the show again. Uh, is this it for GDC? Are all your commitments done? Are we the last? Do, do you guys have anything else left to do this week? I'm, uh, well, I, 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 I was uh, almost late to, to coming on the show because I waited in this like mile-long line yeah, to get yeah. into the experimental gameplay workshop, dropped my bag in there and ran back out, got here just in time, so... And before I go to the airport, uh, I'm actually holding my GDC speech at 3 o'clock. So it's in uh, one and a half hours. And it's about oh, nice. how you marry game design with business design. Because people tend to see them as natural enemies. But I'm going to prove that they're actually not. They're best friends. Okay, well, uh, good luck with that. Thanks so much for coming <laughs> on the show. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome back to One Life Left versus Gama Sutra live at GDC 2016. How are you getting on, Chris? Oh, God. <laughs> I take a lot of deep breaths. I've been sighing a lot. I noticed that. I just kind of go... <sighs> so, um, why, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's produced this situation for you? Is it warm in here? It's <laughs> sweaty. Why do, you, why do you feel like this? Uh, well because an amazing thing happened last night. It was the Marioki? Marioki? Marioki. Marioke. Marioke. In which uh, 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 you and Anne and Simon Byron? Simon. He's anyway, left the country now. Anyway. That's why you haven't heard his voice. Yeah. No, no but, but uh, what they do is they put video game lyrics over actual songs. For example, last night, Steve and I just completely burned the house down with Everlong, except it was about... Lionhead. Lionhead. It's a natural fit. Like, yeah. It doesn't sound like a natural fit, but those lyrics, very well composed. Yeah. So then, of course, that there's that. And then, next thing you know, you're alone and drunk in a Denny's by yourself at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, is, that topic is going to neatly segue into uh, one of our next guests. Uh, Kim and Jesse, could you please introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Kimberly Wool. I am a senior technical designer and research scientist at Riot Games, and I'm also one of the people that made Fantastic Contraption for VR. <gasps> really? Yeah. <laughs> I love Fantastic Contraption Yay! in VR. Are you kidding me? It's it, pretty fantastic. Yes. <laughs> it is! <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I'm uh, Jesse Shell. I'm a professor uh, at the Carnegie Mellon Entertainment Technology Center and the CEO of uh, Shell Games. Um, now, the thing that you don't know, Jesse, the secret is that one of our Marioki catalog, <laughs> one, one song in our Marioki catalog is written about you. All right, that, that's a little creepy. And do you, know, do, you know which, do you know which song it is? I'll tell you which song it is. I guess I'm going to hear it. It's Highway to Hell. Wow. <laughs> has been rewritten, and it's Hi to Jesse Shell. Oh. And well, it's just, that, that sounds friendly. It's just about, um, it's about seeing you at a conference and saying hi to you, which we're doing right now. <laughs> hi, that Jesse is a pretty Shell. good achievement. Wow. Does I, that, that, that's, that's great. So, so I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know whether this song is like a fictionalized universe. Do, do you find that people coming up to you you know, at conferences, just saying hi because I, I do. I get a lot of people saying hi. And, yeah, pe people I know, people I don't know. Uh, yes. 
So are you speaking at GDC this, this year? Uh, I've done, uh, I guess I had six talks <laughs> this year. Three were official GDC talks, one was unofficial, and two were at parallel events. So I was doing a lot of speaking this year. Okay, um, which is your favorite of those talks? Oh, of my own talks? Of your own talks. Uh, I think Sean Patton and I did a talk together about lessons learned making our new VR game, I Expect You to Die. And uh, Wait, was that the name of the game, or was that just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets really weird. Um, uh, we, we got an email from our, our PR rep that was entitled, I Expect You to Die at GDC. <laughs> it's a little, little intimidating sometimes. I did, I did get to play I Expect You to Die. Okay, cool. And I totally died. And one of the ways... I, I, I expected that. <laughs> he totally expected it. A huge spoiler in the name of the, the, type, yeah. in the, name of the game. But there was this... I was sitting in a lodge, and I was trying to get out of this chair. So it's in VR, and you're sitting in a chair, and like you're just trapped. That's the whole idea behind the game. And, but all of a sudden, this huge stuffed bear started shooting crossbow, <laughs> flaming crossbow arrows at me. Uh, not, not flaming ones. Well, they're flaming, but a, a lit stick <laughs> of dynamite is attached to each one. Sorry, yes, I stand corrected. <laughs> Wait, Chris, was this in Denny's last night? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Kim, um, are you speaking at GDC? I, I, so I was really impressed for a moment that I had completed three talks, but Jesse's like, well, I just six. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just like the scrub showed up, did three measly talks. But I did, I did. I did speak three times. You okay. did three good ones, though, so that's a difference. Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> uh, which was your best? Oh, God, I don't know. They were all kind of different I I did two in VR. I did one in VRDC. I did one main track, and I did the... I got the privilege of doing the IGS Soapbox rant this year, so that was pretty fantastic. Did you, did you say that one of your talks was in VR? Yeah, well, not literally. No, in VRDC, oh. the track. But that, that, that would have been... been well, we're kind of... We're actually in... We're showing Fantastic Contraption in the Experimental Games Workshop right now, and one of our talks... Is, that talk is basically in VR. There's props in VR and everything. And yeah, when, when we did ours, we, we did live demo on stage as well, which was absolutely terrifying. It is, right? It's super scary, especially if you're the one in the rig, because all you do is you can just hear the audience. You have no idea whether they're, I don't know, flipping you the bird or about to throw things at you. You just don't even know. There's, yeah, that input channel is shut down. So can you uh, tell our listeners about Fantastic Contraption? I sure can. Yeah, it's a physics-based game in VR. It actually originated on the web as a Flash game. It came out around 2008. It's just plain old 2D fantastic contraption. And the objective is you have goal objects, usually a little ball or a square or something, and you have to build contraptions to take that goal object toward the actual goal. And it's a fairly simplified building system. There's sticks and wheels and whatnot. So it's really intended to be something that people can grasp quite easily, but they can build all sorts of crazy things. You know, it's really just the limit of your imagination. And I've heard nothing but good things about this, this game. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just okay. want to add that it is completely awesome. Oh, oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why does it work so well in VR, do you think? Uh, I think it's a combination of a couple things. I mean, I've been experimenting in VR now for quite a few years, and so have several of us on the team, and we've learned a lot of things just around 
keeping it simple, keeping it diegetic and feeling like things are part of the world. But I think also we get a little bit of a, a freebie because a building game, a physics building game, just is very sort of a, it's kind of a one-to-one -one visceral sort of mapping into VR. You know, you're grabbing things, you're moving around the space. I mean, it just feels very good to be building things in that space. Can you tell us a little bit about the mixed reality thing that you all do? Yeah, we had been spitballing a lot of ideas, so it's really hard to show people what VR is like until you've tried it, especially with the high-gen rigs, because it's so much different than you could ever imagine. It's just like nothing most of us have ever seen. And so if you try to show something in 2D, for example, it just ends up looking like any other 2D game, or 3D looks like any other 3D shooter. But in VR, obviously, it's quite different. So we wanted to find a way that we could show that people were actually in a world in some real sense. So we spitballed some green screen ideas, and then the Northways, who are the other half of our team, very graciously decked out their entire living room and their beautiful apartment, compromising their entire view in green screen, put a couch on it, and started doing a weekly stream on Twitch with, uh, with the mixed reality. Can, can I make a suggestion for the Fantastic Contraption t-shirt? Please. On the back it should say, keeping it diegetic. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, I wanted to ask, since both of you gave uh, solid VR talks this week, how long do you think until we have just VRDC in VR? Jesse? <laughs> I think it's a really long time because face-to-face um, -face communication is really, really important. It's something we've spent... I don't know, a good solid million years kind of evolving and getting right. Maybe arguably longer, maybe, maybe 200 million years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, uh, the tech just can't replace it. That's why people come out here and, and do this. So I'm not going to say never, but I'd give that another, I'd call it somewhere between 30 and 50 years before people start seriously uh, doing their conferences that way. Yeah, shared spaces are super important to how humans operate, and we, you know, have evolved, like you say, over like a million years, to to really have that be a part of how we communicate and how we connect with other people. And it, there's a lot of channels of information, channels we still have yet to discover about how we interact with other people that we at this point just can't replicate. So it's just such a shadow of what we actually can get in real life that I think we're quite a ways out. It's still, it doesn't kind of. It doesn't take away from the excitement of the opportunity for VR to bring people to places they otherwise might not be able to travel. I mean, it's, there's still great experiences to be had, but we're not at the point yet where it's the same as sharing a space with another human being or a whole bunch of human beings. Yeah, GDC would not be the same without the smell. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's a problem that Shell Games is working on, though, right? <laughs> it's our top priority. <laughs> now, now, Jesse, actually, one of your talks was 40... Um, 40 predictions for VR, right? Yeah. Can you rattle all 40 off right now? <laughs> no. Or pick, what's your favorite prediction? Uh, I think my favorite one is something people aren't thinking about, is the importance of touch for VR. Um, right now, everyone's focused on visuals. But uh, touch is going to be really, really important. And robotic technology is moving along apace. And I... Well, so one of the predictions is that by 2025, it's going to be fairly normal for us to have uh, robots to accompany our VR experience that will be holding up various props, handing you things, simulating walls, simulating objects, simulating impact, 
uh, by kind of dancing around you as you're kind of in your VR experience. So to put it succinctly, by 2025, robots will touch you in VR and you'll like it. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. All right, then. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show. Uh, we'll uh, see you around the conference. Yay, right, thank you. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome back to One Life Left. We're here at GDC and it's the last day. We're very sad. Very sad that it's the last day because we've been having such a good time. And in fact, uh, I feel like I need to apologize. I, I had such a good time last night that I am currently um, a little incapacitated. So this might be all you hear from me for the rest of the day because I'm about to collapse under the table. But uh, we've had some other tasks for the rest of this week other than just having a good time. Um, we were, we uh, spoke to Martine early, uh, earlier this week and you gave us some hidden objects to find so that we could have a real life hidden object game. How are we doing? So I've got the, uh, I've got the list in front of me right now. The list that you gave us, you provided to us, Martine. Uh, so the list was, uh, we had to find these things at GDC. We had to find someone wearing pink pants. Anne? Done. Done. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're uh, pointing at each other right now because last night at, at Marioki, uh, we were just chatting and then I saw pink pants and she saw me take a picture of the pink pants <laughs> while standing right there. It, it was a bit weird seeing pants. you taking yeah. a picture of so, a guy's pants, you know, but yeah. Okay. There yep. Oh, Excellent. there's another one. There's okay. another one, a lady with pink pants. So, uh, number two, we had to find R2-D2. Yeah, we haven't done so well on that one. We didn't find R2-D2. Oh, that, I thought that was an easy one. Really? Yeah. Where, where should we have been looking I've for I've seen R2-D2? two people like dragging around as R2-D2 suitcases. Ah, okay. We had to find a top hat. Simon got that one first day. That's first on his First day phone. done. Um, next three we didn't do so well on. Pirate flag, virtual boy, and bunny. No. Any kind of bunny, really. That, that one, come failed. on, that one was easy. Number seven, pixelated clothing. Found that last night. Found that last night? Yeah, one of our um, other guests on the show, uh, Charlotte, um, had a pixelated Sonic t-shirt on. Very good, very good. Excellent. Uh, golden doorknob. Where did you expect us to find a golden doorknob? <laughs> uh, that was a bit of a tricky one because I know that all the door handles here in the Moscone are silver coloured. So yeah, that was a bit of a mean one. Sl- slip that in. But you know, you could have asked for a hint. That's how these we, games we don't, do, we don't do hints. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we assumed if we'd asked for a hint, you would have made us watch a Unity ad or something. Question, is it... <laughs> Monetize. Is it, is, it a, is it a gold-colored doorknob or, like, a doorknob made of solid gold? <laughs> oh, you know, any of those would have, would have counted. So number nine was a red rose. Mm-hmm. Didn't do that, although I, I did see some roses when I was out one night, but they were peach-colored, not... Not red. Uh, okay. But finally, three-coloured hair. Yeah. Did it. Come on, that one should have been easy It here. was easy. It was the first one we did. So we got four out of ten. What do you think that that... Is that a good score? Well, you know, for, for a beginner, that is definitely... That's a good score. Well, that's that's very encouraging. We're beginners, yeah. yes. Thank you so much for setting us the challenge, Martin. Thank you for, for playing my game, really. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with the rest of the show, guys. So we have a we have a we do have another guest on the show right now, right now, right at this uh, point in time at GDC 2016. 
which we are just about getting through. <laughs> and uh, to help us get through more of the show, this final show on Friday, uh, we've got Robert Yang. Hey, Robert. Hello. This is your second time, I think, on the show, isn't it? Yeah, I think last year, Kara Ellison just dragged me on the stage. I was like, what's going on? She said, Sounds don't like worry. Cara. Sounds like Kara. Uh, Robert, you make video games, don't you? It's one of the things you yes, do. Yes, I do. Uh, can you tell our listeners uh, back in London who might not know a little bit about video... <laughs> our listeners back in London who don't necessarily know the most about video games, you know, because uh-huh. they listen to us and we're not a very educational show. <laughs> uh, can you tell them about the sort of games that you make? Um, I basically make gay sex video games. Okay. Um, the most recent one I made is called Rinse and Repeat. It's the most advanced male shower simulator in the history of games. Um, and I also made a game before that called Cobra Club. That's a dick pic photo studio game. Now, you have a very good Twitter feed, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, with uh, lots of really good gifts and just um, schlongs flying on, like physics, getting just, just going crazy. In- in the internet loves the dick. What can I say? <laughs> I can't say anything, really. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I was going to jump in and say, like, it's been remarkable to see the genre of, like, men showering games, like, really oh, explode. Yeah. There's your game, there's Shower With Your Dad Simulator. Do you feel like there's a lot of unexplored design territory in that sort of genre? Yeah, I think showers are really just interesting space. They're kind of, like, tender and intimate um, and I think most games are about, like, killing things from a distance, mm-hmm. right? So I think showers are... Cleaning things up close. Cleaning <laughs> things up close. Clean them ups, you know? Now, you gave a micro-talk, right? Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Did it go well? Um, yeah, I think it went well. Um, I gave a talk about how Twitch actually banned my very advanced shower simulator game, by the way. <laughs> Um, banned it from all broadcast, and they also ban anyone who tries to stream my game as well. And I wanted to complain about this unfair practice that I regard as unfair. Um, their policy, Twitch's policy, is actually to ban anything with any sexual content. But in the talk, I talk about how there's all these games with like boobs everywhere, and even other games with like dicks hanging out everywhere, and they don't ban those. So I feel like it's kind of a very inconsistent enforcement of the policy and that means it might be a bad policy and maybe they should be more like considerate for artistic depictions of dicks and schlongs and stuff did uh what would you chalk that up to what why why are they so averse to your games whereas as you said in other games they're they're okay with it um i think those other games they have existing relationships with like big video game companies meanwhile i'm just some random dude in brooklyn who makes gay porn games, and um, they're much less understanding of that. Apparently. Maybe you need to reposition your games a little bit because there's nothing necessarily sexual about a dick pic, is there? No, that's actually one thing my games always try to do. They talk about how sex is often not sexy. Mm, I mean, it could be medical, or it could just be. <laughs> it could just be. You know, you just want to record things, just just in case things change, and you know, it could be a historical record of. 
of, <laughs> of your body. you're just very proud. Yeah, you know, proud. Be, be proud of what you've and, got. And as for, you know, a shower simulator, what's, what's sexual about that? It's just, it's just the human body. Everyone needs to get clean. Right, exactly. Um, so are you, having a good, uh, are you having a good GDC? Are you enjoying yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm talking to a lot of new people, which mm-hmm. is good. I usually pretty lazy and shy. What sort of uh, reaction do you get when you show your games off in person? Um, some, I think my favorite reaction is when I show it to painfully straight men and they get very anxious <laughs> and I see the gay panic in their eyes and then I just feed off of that. It energizes me. Do you beautiful. sort of maintain just very intense eye contact? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, I <laughs> stare deeply into their eyes because that's how I nourish myself. <laughs> the last game um, that I played of yours, I, I'm, I'm not caught up on the whole catalog, but what was the name of the game where you're driving a car? Oh, yes, that's called Stick Shift. That's where you give your car a hand job. Yeah, <laughs> I was really good at that game. Um, I believe it. <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I like the expression, though, because what it, it is like part of the screen shows the stick of the car right and then you see the guy's expression um which are really good you got kind of like little like screen shake like going on and uh, and just zooming into the the man's face um as i'm i'm shifting them gears (laughs) yeah there's a lot of game feel as we talk say in the biz yeah chris a lot of of feedback is this another story about denny's at 4am again Uh, we're also jo- joined on the show right now by uh, Stephen Barlow. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Hey, it's going very, very, very well. You were at Marioki last night, weren't you? I was. That is why my voice sounds uh, like this okay. right now, but I feel like I donated it to a very good cause. <laughs> yeah, like you do, we don't keep your voices. <laughs> it's just they're, they're gone. You, you give it to the world. It's, which uh, it's which more song generous. were you sing- singing last night? Uh, so I did a bit of a trifecta. So okay. I did um, Say It Ain't So... Which is about the Elder Scrolls. Which was about the Elder Scrolls. There were some references. I'm not the biggest Skyrim head, so there was something in there that I basically just had to use my knowledge of Weezer to sure, of course. really get through that. Uh, I did a lovely uh, duet of um, Creep. Creep. Creep, which, which was about, about Elite. Elite, yes, which I had also never played, but you know, mm-hmm. the song just holds up no matter what. And of course, I uh, did that Jimmy World, uh, The Middle which is about uh, water levels in video games, which are among my most hated things. I personally, uh, not even like real life, can swim that well, so it's not one of those escapist sort of realities for me when I'm underwater. It's more of a terrifying sort of... We, we, have, um, we have the middle about water levels, yes. and we have Ice Ice Baby about ice levels, yes, and we have Nelly's Hot in here about lava levels. There you go. Hey. So we, we, we've got our bases covered. Um, <laughs> that's not why you're at GDC, though, is it? Uh, no. Uh, so obviously I've spent a lot of time hanging out with you guys in years past because I'm here in San Francisco having a great time. Uh, this year I've been working with this studio out of Argentina called Blitz. Uh, They've made a lot of, and historically, they've made a lot of like card games that are specific to the Argentinian market. And this year, they've sort of branched out with a like a point-and-click adventure. It's wacky, it's goofy, it's like Day of the Tentacle. It's got this sort of time travel thing going on, and they just needed somebody to write the jokes since they had this beautiful aesthetic. They had you know everything else. They just needed a lot of goofy dialogue in there. What are the uh, what are the challenges in uh, writing jokes inside video games? Oh, there are a few. Um, the biggest one I could think of is knowing ahead of time that um, 
this game is going to be translated into three other languages. So it's going to be in French, Spanish, and German. And so you really, when you're writing these jokes, you have to think about the international audience even more so than if you're just going to release it internationally in English. Because any joke that you're writing that deals with puns or other forms of wordplay, where it's sort of the joke is in a rhyme or alliteration, that will be lost entirely when the translators get their hands on it. So also any pop culture references that are um, very specific to the American audience, they sort of will degrade. Um, so you want those jokes that are very specifically American references to be funny even if you don't get the reference. So for example, there's a part in the game where Kelvin, this is, the game is called Kelvin and the Infamous Machine, uh, he's trying to get into a bar and the bouncer won't let him in until he has a very nice outfit on because it has a dress code. And so once he puts the, the uh, outfit on, he pretends to be a, an Austrian baron named Abraham, Abraham von Frohmann, a wealthy sausage mogul, which is like a reference to uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, but pretending to be a wealthy sausage mogul named Abraham von Frohmann is funny even if you've never seen Ferris Bueller. So I feel like that one works out okay. Um, that's like that's probably the biggest challenge. Also, like it was sort of a unique development process, just because they already had all the levels sort of planned out. They had the characters designed. I, I came into the project a little late uh, in terms of they already had like a full functioning level. So I was just sort of catering the lines to sort of match the uh, so the attitude, the, the the appearance of each character to either really correspond to the attitude that it made sense for that character to have, or to be completely opposite of what you would expect that character to be like. So there's a grave digger in the third level who looks hideous and very much like portly and has air, hair coming out of his armpits and all this stuff and he loves cute puppies because <laughs> contrast is funny. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more about uh, Kelvin and the Infamous Machine? Well, it is, uh, it's on Steam, early access right now. Uh, so uh, it has everything. It's content complete except for voice acting which we're adding in the next couple of months. Um, it's also at infamousmachine.com if you'd like to see, check out some screenshots or video and anything like that. Uh, and can people follow uh, you on Twitter? Sure, yeah. Uh, I am at Barlow underscore VO. And uh, Blitz is the name of the studio, B-L-Y-T-S. So uh, they make some other awesome games. If you like, their, their casual uh, card games are awesome. They have some ones that are very specific to the Argentinian culture. They're couple games that are big there, like Truco, which okay. they were telling me about. But they've also done some other card games that are a little more, you know, universal. And what about you, Robert? Where can people follow your work and your apparently amazing Twitter account? Um, my website is debacle, as in like a huge disaster, debacle.us. <laughs> and um, my Twitter handle is Radiator Yang. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Still here at GDC, just about. We've got, I think, another two more sections of the show. And then we're done. We're done for another year. Anne, how do you think it's gone? I think it's been incredible this year. Um, I, uh, someone asked me last night um, what has been my highlight. And I actually think that it's been the quality of guests that we've had on. Everyone's been so interesting, so engaging. Um, yeah, I'm just really, really pleased with how the shows have gone. And obviously, we've had a lovely time in the evenings as well. Chris, what's what been your highlight of GDC? I've had a few highlights. I mean, it's a, it's a really good show this year. The vibe is 
really good. I basically live inside of VR now. And uh, I was just looking, speaking of highlights, I was just looking at my phone, apparently after Marioki and a couple drinks, um, Simon Byron, get, uh, the host who's not with us today, <laughs> was posing um, all over somebody's motorcycle, like, and uh, taking taking pictures of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he it was like it lo- they look like um, Suzuki like motorcycle ads, and he hasn't been seen since. Yeah, <laughs> someone found out about him. Got they got him. So we have two more guests uh, on the show. It's Cliff and Henrik. Uh, if you could introduce yourselves to our listeners and to us, uh, that'd be great. Cliff. Oh, hello. Um, people call me Cliffski. I am basically Positech Games. I did Gratuitous Space Battles and Democracy 3 and loads of lesser games that didn't sell. So in your case, corporations are people. Uh, yeah, yeah, me specifically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, I'm Henrik, and I'm co-founder of Mediocre Games. We've uh, done the mobile games Smash It, Does Not Commute, and a few others. We've been doing this for about five years now, and I do art and level design, and I guess we all kind of do game design. So, Cliff, uh, one of the things that when, when I do teaching and a bit of consultancy as well, one of the things I always say to people is, name your game what it is, because people need to find it. <laughs> I think gratuitous, gratuitous space battles is like the definitive example of that, right? Yeah, and if, if you do a game about politics, call it politics or, or democracy <laughs> exactly. in this case. Exactly. A lot of indies kind of watch a lot of arty movies and then they call their game sort of splivel or yeah. something. Yeah, you I just scroll past that. I'm working on a game right now called Time is an Island. What's that about? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> no, that's a no idea. stupid idea. You should yeah. abandon that immediately. Uh, I know. It's, 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 it's done. So um, why are you at GDC? I just... Who knows? I got on the wrong plane or something. <laughs> um, supposedly, I am here to talk to the press about Democracy 3 Africa. Uh, but in reality, I'm mostly here to meet people I know and go out for meals. Well, we're the, we're the press, you know. Right now, we're the press, and so you can talk to us if you oh, want. Oh, God, I, you want me to pitch, don't you? No. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for you to take us out for a meal if you'd rather, but... <laughs> Um, Okay, well, of course, there is a huge gap in the market for complicated strategy games based around African politics. I've noticed that. And um, it's been annoying how many other people are doing games about African politics. Um, They're they're kind of everywhere. I thought some people would do VR, but that's really not a thing. So I've jumped on the bandwagon, and um, I'm trying to fill a small part of the South African... GDP simulation niche or niche. <laughs> Cliff, Strong pitch. I have to ask: Does your African politics simulator have a multiplayer mode? And if so, how many modes does it have? No, I'm afraid it's only one mode. It's just lonely mode. How do you plan to monetize? Uh, by actually selling it. Mm. And when do you plan to sell it, and on what platforms are we talking about? Uh, just PC. Well, well, PC and Mac, and. It was going to come out next week, but that was just a work of delusional fiction. So it'll probably be about three weeks. Do you have a price for the season pass yet? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to sell hats uh, because um, Nigeria especially has wonderful hats. Um, Yeah, we're going to upsell the game with hats. Well, not really. That sounds brilliant. Uh, Henrik, does your game have any hats? And if so, how many hats? No, uh, ads. 
Hats. Hats, no, never. We didn't. We actually considered for our newest game, which is a premium game, we considered having ads because it uh, was just felt like the kind of game that would people who like games with ads would play for some reason. So we, uh, our idea was to we're going to make our own ads, which are would essentially just tell people would be propaganda actually, mm-hmm. telling people why games. Uh, uh, why you should pay money for games, why that's a good thing, and like, wh- wh- how much effort we put into this game. And I'm, I kind of regret we didn't do that. Now it's just a premium game, but that's the only time we've ever considered having ads in our games. And it would be called Buying Hats. Yeah, name it about what it is, right? That's what you're yeah, Hats for Sale. So, Cliff, you work a lot with um, independent publishers or independent developers. Uh, what are some mistakes that you see independent developers making aside from not putting hats in their games and naming their games poorly? They tend to make games that pretty much anyone can make. This is the, this is the problem. Um, I think the trick is to make a game that's really, really hard to copy. So... Like, Democracy 3 is based on a neural network that is not easy to code by any possible margin. But if you can sum up how your game works in just one sentence and you can reproduce it just using stuff from the Unity Asset Store, then, you know, that'll happen. It'll happen straight away. And uh, you'll have a flood of competition. Uh, Basically, my games tend to have very little competition. So I think they screw up in that they just make the wrong the wrong game. They're, they're not being weird enough or maybe ambitious enough or unusual enough. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges for an independent developer who likes us? Like, so, some advice for somebody who's a, who has a game and they want to take it to market. Should they, for example, get a publisher? You're starting to see smaller publishers like yourself. Um, I'm basically the only publisher worth dealing with. Um, <laughs> okay. there, are, there are a lot of lesser publishers. Um, it depends. If you're the kind of person, if you have money, um, then then you're okay. You know, you kind of don't need a publisher. And if you're the sort of person that will go to parties and you'll go up to people and go, "Hi, this is my game," blah blah blah, that's great. But if you don't have money and you're an introvert, then I think you are kind of doomed. Uh, I was going to say doomed. Yeah. yeah, doomed, doomed, doomed. Henrik, you've uh, you've just released a game, haven't you? Oh yeah, last Thursday. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Where can people find it? Dirac, and it's on the App Store and Android. Okay. And Google Play. And why should people download it? Oh, it's a great game. It's a great game. Yeah. Awesome. That's the only reason, right? Uh, Cliff, where can people follow no, your work? It doesn't have any ads. It doesn't have any ads as well. Uh, Cliff, where can people find you and follow your work? Um, just Google Cliffski. You'll find. You know, you'll find me. Or like complex politics thing. Okay. You know. And Henrik, you're you're mediocre, aren't you? Yes. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really try. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's the final session at GDC 2016. At least the final session for One Life Left. And Chris Graft from Gama Sutra has just put on his sunglasses and then taken them off again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's. I don't know. It's a tiring week, isn't it, Chris? Um, I just feel like I'm, I felt good when I started the show, and as it went on, I just am getting more and more 
progressively worse. I, I'm the exact opposite. Right now, I'm feeling bubbly. I, I just want to talk to everyone. I'm really pleased to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you want to talk to everyone because we have three, three guests uh, for our final session. The three best guests, obviously, because we saved, saved the best for last, which isn't a comment on our previous guests. It's just a comment on how great you guys are. We've got uh, Robert and Peter Curry from Dinosaur Polar Club, and we've got Dan Edelman as well. Hey, guys. Hello. How, Hello. how are you? Welcome. Hi. Well, <laughs> I think we're all experiencing various emotions. It was a punishing night last night, wasn't it? <laughs> I keep on, like, breaking out in these kind of mini-sweats. <laughs> Is that, does anyone else feel that? Or is it just me? No, I'm feeling amazing. So great. Stop rubbing that in my face. So Robert and Peter were on the show last year talking about the game Mini Metro. Um, how's the last year been for you? Uh, as far as Mini Metro goes, it's been a pre- pretty good one. Uh, yeah, we released in November last year to, uh, and had a very, very good response. Um, so, yeah, and now we're just working on the mobile versions um, so far for iOS and Android. Mini Metro is a, a tube map puzzle game. That's how I'd describe it. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a zen puzzle sim zen. strategy game is how we sort of mash it together. Yeah. And the, the, the game was nominated um, how many, like a billion times in the awards this week? Um, roughly four. Okay. Uh, I was a little off. Four is still quite impressive. Did you win any of those awards? What? Thank you for asking, Steve. Yeah. Uh, yes, we, we picked up the Excellence in Audio, which we were, we were stoked with. That was, that was an amazing experience. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, as a guest of One Life Left, I'm sure you've read the contract, but that does mean that a little bit of that award belongs to us. And, you know, we're, it's fine, but just, just letting, <laughs> making sure you know that. Cool. I'll um, send the fine print onto my solicitor. Okay. Um, uh, Dan, yes. can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what you do and why you're at GDC? Sure, yeah. So um, a lot of people know of me from my years at Nintendo where I ran the indie business over there. And I left Nintendo about a year and a half ago to work with uh, a few indie game developers. And I helped them with their business and marketing. And so, um, so I'm kind of a member of three different indie studios at once. And one of them is Axiom Verge. Uh, which we just announced is in certification that with Vita right now, and we also announced that it's coming to Xbox One and Wii U. And Chasm is another game, and that's coming out hopefully later this year. And uh, last but not least, I just announced a new game on Monday called Mages of Mistralia, which is also going to be crazy awesome. Mages of Mistralia, what's that about? That sounds intriguing. It does, doesn't it? It's, uh, so it is a, um, an action-adventure game. Kind of like the, the best way to think of it is that it is uh, Harry Potter meets Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So you play as a young mage who, or a young girl who wakes up to find that she has magical powers, kind of like, um, uh, like uh, Harry Potter did in the first Harry Potter, and just I was realized. Say like me this morning, I, I woke up. <laughs> yeah, and and that, well, unfortunately, she wakes up, and the re- the way she realizes it is she accidentally burns down her house, and so she goes into exile to kind of learn the ways of magic, and along the way, she picks up these magical runes, which then she can use to design her own custom magic spells. 
and so a lot of the game mechanics are about designing spells that will accomplish very specific tasks. Are you, uh, are you talking at GDC this year? I, or have you I, been? I spoke. Okay. I spoke at GDC this year. Yeah, I was part of the Indie Roundtable. Okay. Uh, so it gave, uh, which in, in prior years was called the Indie Rant, um, which was a lot more fun because, you know, you could just, like, rant about stuff. Um, and we were free to rant as well. So I ranted on uh, price erosion and how people are tending to devalue their games too quickly, which kind of hurts all of us. So uh, that actually is a, it's interesting link to Dinosaur Polo Club. You're going to be releasing Mini Metro on tablets soon, aren't you? On uh, it, we would like to say soon, but next, <laughs> next, anyway, you're going to get around to it eventually. That, that is the idea. And you were faced with a question whether to make it free to play or whether to make it a paid title, weren't you? Yeah, definitely. That that was one of the central um, problems we had to solve about you know going from desktop onto phone. Uh, yeah, so we settled on. We, we thought we'd, we'd go paid, uh, mainly because we, we know paid more, and uh, the idea of having to somehow shoehorn in a way of monetization into the game when we hadn't actually thought about it at all through, through the development uh, seemed like it was going to be a risky option. Dan, was your, uh, your, your soapbox sort of, was it more of a asking questions or was it a stating an opinion thing? Oh, it was definitely stating my opinion. And, yeah. and what is your opinion on price erosion? So my, my opinion is that developers should respect the people who were their earliest supporters and were willing to pay full price and not make them feel like they were cheated if they you know, buy it at full price and then a month later it's 75% off. So, um, so what I'm... What I was advocating is that developers be upfront with their plans for price promotions. So maybe announce what their release price is going to be, and also how long it will be. It will remain at full price. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it for uh, for consumers. How do you decide how much a game is worth and how much you should sell it for? There's there's no real method other than uh, I think. We as indie developers have a tendency to undervalue our creations. I think we, we all see the flaws in our games and we see all the things that we wish we could have fixed and it's not perfect and so you kind of second guess yourself. And meanwhile, uh, most of, a lot of these games are just amazing and so I'm encouraging people to charge a little bit more than what they would normally be comfortable with, um, just because chances are if they aim a little bit high, it'll actually be dead on to what it's worth. So as an example, uh, Axiom Verge was, uh, it's a 2D action platformer, kind of Metroidvania style um, pixel art, and um, we priced it at $19.99, and at first there were a lot of people saying like, oh, you're crazy, the current price for indie games is $14.99, but for the people who are really looking for a really good Metroid-style kind of game, you know, we're happy to pay it. And a lot of the people who bought it wound up saying, now that I know how good it was, I would have paid twice that. So, you know, it's, it's always tricky because uh, you never know what it's worth until someone's actually played it. Yeah, I can speak to that as well. We, we had um, some issues when we were deciding on the 
price for our game. Uh, initially, we were figuring it would probably be around five dollars, um, just because to us it always felt like a small game. Um, but thankfully, before we launched on Steam, we had some advice from other developers that uh, that was a little low, and uh, even it may even result in fewer sales, just because uh, having a low price affects the expectation of the game. That if you put your game up for five dollars, people are going to you know, assume it it's not worth their time. Um, so when we put it up on early access, we put it on at seven, uh, with the intention to slowly increase it to eight or nine uh, as we added things in during the early access period. We eventually increased it to 10 when we released and, oh actually just before release and didn't see any impact on actual the raw sales figures at all so yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you that that developers tend to undervalue quite a lot and I'm thrilled when The Witness came out and priced it at at the way it did it uh, really increased the expectations for what what games can be priced at? I think that someone should try to just make a game and release it for like 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> you just sell one, one copy and you know, that's a pretty good return right there. I think there should be a phase at the end of development when your game is complete that you can just put all of the code in a box and then put it on a scale and it just tells you. It just comes it's, up with a figure. Spits, yeah, it spits out, uh, spits out a figure. Wouldn't that be... Or maybe, yeah, it prints it on some ticker tape at the end and you open it up and it says, you know, it's, it's a 10 grand game. This is a good idea. <laughs> or it's, you know, a dollar. Uh, so if I think my play. game... Now, Dan's advice is uh, you should go a little bit higher than what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with selling it for 10 grand. <laughs> so maybe 12 grand is what I should go for. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. How can people follow you on the internet or see more about your work? Uh, we are com forward slash mini metro or at donopoloclub on, on uh, Twitter. So I've got three games. So uh, the first one is Axiom Verge. So axiomverge.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, likewise, Chasm is chasmgame.com. And Mages of Mistralia is magesofmistralia.com. And so I would encourage everyone to sign up for all of the newsletters <laughs> to get all of the information all of the time. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC 2016. Uh, We're broadcasting from a long desk at the foot of the escalators in the north wall of the Moscone Center. Uh, It's quite clearly labeled desk. There's a big sign at the front of it that says One Life Left. And there's some other signs that say One Life Left is a video game radio show. It's gentle. Don't expect any aggression here. It's, it's a very nice experience. This is such a long desk. I'm just it's realizing really, it's, it's a really very long, long desk. Like, and that's two, fine. Two, like once a year, I sit at, this is the longest desk I've seen. <laughs> it's a really let's, long desk. And let's be honest here, there's more than one desk that has been merged. Uh, 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 all right, okay. It's several blown. desks put together, but it makes, underneath the cloth that says One Life Left on it, it makes a very, very long desk. And... Um, but despite all of that signage, a woman just approached us and said, 
Are you uh, information? <laughs> like, you know, we're the opposite. We are the opposite of information. That's <laughs> we are that's, misinformation. That's, that's that is not true. Earlier, times. I gave a young man very accurate directions, <laughs> and I'd be happy to do so again. <laughs> You're all the way at the end of this long desk, though. I don't even know. If, like, maybe down there it's information. Just send her down to Alex next time. Um, Does anyone need information? See, we lied to the listeners just now. Well, when that's we, um, not the first time. It won't be the last. No, we, um, we said... Oh, we've got three guests on. These are our last guests. And so our great. best guests. Last and best. But that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. We've got well, another one. Well, it is one. sort of true because uh, we've been joined by Anna Kipnis. Hello. Hello. Uh, but Anna isn't really a guest anymore. She's family. Yeah. Aww. She's family. Uh, and Which she's member th- of the family? <laughs> <laughs> that distant cousin you don't see very often. But you love him. <laughs> Yeah, in certain terms. <laughs> and um, no, no, no. I mean, we couldn't have chosen a better person to wrap up the show with because, Anna, you can tell us everything that we've... Everything that you, and by extension we, as family, have or should have learned from GDC 2016. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Anna, uh, first of all, remind our listeners who you are. Hi, guys. I'm a senior gameplay programmer at Double Fine Productions. I've worked there for quite a while on... Almost everything you might have heard from Double Fine, um, including Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Costume Quest, Once Upon a Monster, um, The Cave, uh, Broken Age, and now I'm working on Headlander and Psychonauts, the VR game. Uh, It's called Rhombus of Ruin. Um, And I also made a prototype for Amnesia Fortnite uh, called Dear Leader. So many, many award-winning games, all of which now belong a little bit to us, just contractually yeah, yeah. I, I would suggest selling those one of them for I don't know 10 grand <laughs> <laughs> so you're speaking I'm at the conference. comfortable with 15 so always go higher than what you're comfortable with <laughs> uh, have you spoken this year at GDC I have actually I was part of the game design challenge ah. it was a huge honor to be invited and also terrifying but an offer you kind of can't refuse so we talked to Eric about that earlier oh. in the show. Uh, oh. He pitched some of those games to, uh, to Fred Wester from Paradox wow. in a kind of, uh, you know The Voice, the show. Uh, do you know the, the reality TV show, The Voice? I, oh, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, right. Well, well, Fred was sort of in his chair spinning uh-huh. around. Um, which was your game? Uh, mine was called Drawing Conclusions, and it is a game, um, so it was, so of course the theme was a 30-year game, a game you play for 30 years, um, and I was inspired by a quote uh, by Albert Camus, um, where he talks about um, how at 30, a man should know himself, like the palm of his hand, know the exact number of his defects, and so on and so forth, and be able to accept those things. Um, and so the game that I designed is about um, a playful way of gaining introspection into yourself. So what you do, I mean, you can actually, there's a variation of this game that you, you can play by yourself, but uh, when I played just said it, I did it with, with some friends. And so basically what you do is you do a drawing that requires a response. And you put a question mark somewhere just to make it clear that there's a question being asked. You hand it to your friends, um, and they have to draw an answer by modifying your drawing in some way. And then they give, the, they give their response back to you, and you have to kind of flip the paper over and write on the back of it what insights you can draw based on their answers. And so the idea is that you play this game, you don't have to play it every day for the, you know, 30 years, but every once in a while you have these things and you save those drawings, and over time perhaps they give you 
some valuable insight. Usually it's just jokes, but they are, I mean, some, sometimes you get a friend who's really, really good at interpreting them, and then it's extremely valuable. Now, now when Eric had, that was one of the games that Eric had described earlier. Fred pressed the red button on that one. He did? Yeah. You were, it, it made it through. You've really? been, congratulations. You, you have oh, been so... signed to Paradox oh. now. Might be contractually <laughs> complicated, but we'll, we'll go through that and we'll take our cut as well of, uh, of your 15 grand or whatever like to skim a little is. bit off the top here, here <laughs> and there. I'm so glad to that's hear that. Our, that's our business model. So what um, themes have, and lessons have you learned around GDC 2016? Well, um, so unfortunately, because what happens is you get very stressed out about your talk, you crunch on your talk until all the way to the time that you actually give it. So I've been to a few talks. One of the ones that I really loved was, um, it was part of the audio uh, micro talks. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about, you know how the, you, everyone knows about optical illusions. Um, well, there was a speaker who uh, talked about audio illusions. Okay. Um, and it's really inspiring to hear things like that because we're always, you know, audio, I feel like in games often gets the shaft. Like, you, mm. you, you know, you, if you, especially if you're playing like a mobile game, a lot of the time you're you have the sound off, you're listening to your own music. Um, but in this case, it's the puzzles themselves. Like she, she presented a few ways in which you could use some of these illusions. Like, for instance, there's, I think it's... Um, Sunny Soto's speech. I'm not exactly sure. Like the the, na the names of the illusions were kind of complicated. So this is what I remember: is that there's a speech that you cannot, if someone, if you hear it, you cannot actually tell what is being said. However, if you see it written, you can never hear that again without thinking of that exact phrase. It's like, of, of course, of course, that's what they were saying. It's quite clear, you know. Um, and so yeah, and she presented a bunch of these things, and it just kind of blew my mind that it, I think I. I really would love to make a game like that. We've uh, spent the conference, you know, learning so much from our amazing guests. Uh, and, you know, obviously you've just taught us something as well. That's great. Uh, but there's, there's been one question we have kept coming back to uh, yes. throughout the, the shows. We think we found the definitive answer. We oh, yes. think we found the definitive answer. But as a VR developer, uh, someone who's who's grounded in that technology, maybe you can help us. So maybe this is a good way to round off our final show. If you are developing for Valve's platform, Valve's named platform... Vive? The Vive? How do you pronounce that? <laughs> it is pronounced the Vive, and I only say that because I've heard people from Valve pronounce it that way. <laughs> Does anyone at Valve say Vive? <laughs> Not that I've heard of. That'd be interesting if... That, that'd be one of those, the call is coming from the inside of the house situations. <laughs> They're go walking around the halls of Valve are filled with vive, vive. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, Anna, for helping us close down this, our final show of GDC 2016. Where can people find out uh, more about you on the internet? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Double Anna. I actually don't have a website or anything like that, but you can also check out um, some examples of that game I described earlier. Uh, it's at drawingconclusions.info. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and thank you to everyone else for listening. This has been our, has it been our fourth or fifth time doing this at GDC. I think it's been... Our 37th? 37th. It feels like it, doesn't it? And we're uh, just going to stay here until next year. Don't take this long table down. It'll take too much time. Just, we'll stay here. It's kind of weird it. how the official GDC podcast is actually older than GDC by <laughs> seven years. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, obviously, thank you so much to all the listeners. Thank you to GDC for throwing such a brilliant conference and for having us here again. Thank you to Gama Sutra for being such a capable co-host. As Mr. Gama Sutra, I can accept that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you to Denny's as well for resurrecting yeah, Chris at 4 a.m. in the yeah, morning. Denny's sponsoring my sad meal. And thank you to all of our brilliant guests over the past five days. Um, thank we you. Will, it was a pleasure to be on this one. We will see you next year, I'm sure. Uh, but until then, we have been One Life Left. And we're going to see you around. Goodbye. <laughs> Sounds like a threat. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>